You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Well, welcome this morning. Welcome, welcome. Did everybody get a, uh, a little palm branch when they came in? No? If you didn't get one, just look around. I, I don't know, maybe we have some extra... If yours just doesn't look as cool as mine, that's because you don't have a close Catholic friend. <laughs> I actually tried to look this up on YouTube and was like, that's way harder than I want to learn. So, yeah, if you, if you have some friends that grew up in church school, they will know how to do this really well. Um, today is Palm Sunday. So, what an incredible week we have ahead of us. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. We have Good Friday service. It, on Friday, of course, and then uh, Saturday morning, we have our, our annual Easter egg hunt that's out back, so invite every kid that you know, every family that you know. I think we have about 7,000 eggs stuffed with candy that will be on the back lawn, and it takes about five minutes for them all to disappear. So um, have, you know, invite any families that you know. We'd love to have them here, and of course, then Sunday morning, our Easter service. So, uh, you know, I, I just love this week. You know, it's really more than a day. It's not just about Easter Sunday. You know, we've really been kind of talking about Lent, the 40 days that leads up to this week and this remembrance and this reflection moment. And as Christians, the thing that I, I would always try to warn us against, so if you're a Christian in this room, if you're watching online and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the thing I want to warn us always against, and I'm often saying this, is be, is your faith becoming something redundant? Or your faith becoming something re- routine? You know, if you look even at our most traditional type churches, um, even the Catholic faith, if you look through these, there's, there's something they call liturgy. And the truth is that humans just tend to lean into uh, kind of routine and making everything a little bit mundane. But actually, liturgy in the tradition was meant to remind us. But even the things we set in as uh, you know, systems to remind us, we forgot. You know, I always joke in John 14 when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit. And it says that he's going to come and live within us. And he's going to send this advocate to us. And then it, it says something about him. And it's really the first description of, of what we get from the Holy Spirit. And it says, and he will remind you of all the things I've taught you. Don't we need reminders? So this week, as we go into another Easter season, another Holy Week, another you know, week that we're remembering this, try not to just make it one in another million of them, okay? Like, let's let this sink in deeply. What is Jesus wanting to speak to us right now? Who are we as humans? Who are we as Christians? And what did God really do for us in this time period? Because that is the most important thing for all of us. You know, I know that every person on this planet is looking for Jesus. They just don't know it. They're finding, they're trying to find purpose in life and fulfillment in a million different ways. But at the end of the day, we're all looking for Jesus. And that's what we want to remember this week. So we're going to jump in. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday. But it's not going to be my main point today. I'm actually going to start. And I always like, 
using this week to little, you know, kind of walk through the story sequentially. Well, I'm going to start on Saturday, the day before, um, you know, our Palm Sunday. But I want to look what happens on Saturday in the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and then, you know, progressing through the week to his death on the cross and resurrection. So what happens on Saturday? If you open your Bibles to John 11, we're going to read a whole bunch of Scripture today. So I just ask that you keep up with me a little bit. If you have your phone, you can use that. As you saw Jason talk about, there's always Bibles in the back. You can have those. They're free if you want to take one home. If you don't have one, if you just want to use one for today, you can use one for today and put it back even. Um, All right, so let's pick up John 11. Here we are, just one day before Jesus' triumphant entry. And we're at a story that many of us may have heard as children in kids' church or throughout our life as Christians. It's the story of Lazarus. And I actually believe the story of Lazarus happening on this day really matters. In fact, it's quite a foreshadowing event. A man dies. A man is raised to life. We see this foreshadow even in Lazarus' life and circumstance in his story of what is about to happen with Jesus. But there's so much in this Lazarus story that should matter to us as Christians that really points us to who Jesus is and what he wants to accomplish in every one of us as individuals, but also in us as the world. And so I want to pick up in that story, verse 1, chapter 11. Here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So listen, Jesus knows this family well. They're his friends. We've heard about Mary and Martha throughout the Gospels. You hear about them later. They become the first ones to witness Jesus' resurrection. These are important characters in the Bible. And it says, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Let's just remember that quote. (laughs) Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. I love Jesus always speaking in riddles. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, the Lord, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I just want to stop for a second. Just put yourself in the shoes of this story not knowing the end from the beginning. And we see this moment where just a few scriptures before, two days before, 
And apparently John wants to make sure Jesus is quoted in this, so John remembers that Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And two days later, Jesus goes, he's dead. Like, just imagine this situation for real. I know that we, we, we look at the end of things and we kind of always work our way backwards. You know, it's like we know what Jesus did on the cross and we can work our way backwards. But sometimes knowing the end makes the story not as real for us. If we try to put ourselves in these shoes, just imagine how you would feel in this moment and even possibly how disillusioned you would be. In fact, I would claim you'd most likely be disillusioned. I know I would be. In fact, if I start to compare my own life to this, not that you know, a friend of mine died and I was trying to get Jesus to come raise him from the dead, but how many stories of our life look like this where something tragic begins to happen and maybe as a Christian you hear this, this promise from God or you have someone who prays over you and, and lifts you up or you read scripture about healing, but then it doesn't happen. Anybody ever live there? If you're not raising your hand and all your prayers are always answered, I need you to pray for me. <laughs> and this, this story takes place where Jesus says his life or this, his sickness won't end in death, but then just two days later, not even going to see his friend, he says he's dead. Lazarus is dead, and then he goes on to explain a little more. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. This is an interesting statement. You've got to understand the context. You remember they just tried to warn Jesus. If we go back to Judea, they're going to kill you. You know, everybody seems surprised by Jesus' death. The disciples all seem surprised. It doesn't really make sense because he's told them multiple times now up to this point, I'm going to die. And then when he does, they're like, oh, man, what happened? And so in this moment, they're, they're warning him, you're going to die. You, if we go back to Judea, something bad can happen. And now they're saying, well, if we're going with Jesus, it looks like we're going to die too. And I kind of put myself in these shoes with God. I think about all the stories in my life where I absolutely know who God is. I know his goodness. I, I, I've experienced his good things in my life. I've experienced his salvation. And so I have this understanding of who Jesus is. But then the circumstances of life present themselves. And, and even as a pastor, I, I know in my head I should have faith that God's going to work things out, that I'm going to make it through things. But generally my statements more or less sound like this. Well, let's go die with Jesus too. It's like, where's the faith in any of that? A circumstance presents itself in my life, a sickness or a situation. And, and the one I wanted to share with you is, is my daughter, Emma. Many of you know the story with her now. But I want to take you back to the beginning of this story with her. She was sick for about a week, and she had a fever. This was three years ago. And we had taken her to the doctors twice. And on the third time back to the doctors, because this fever was persistent, he just said, you know, this, or she said, this doesn't make sense. Let's walk across to the hospital and see if we can get some tests done. 
Now, I was traveling with my son at the time. Uh, it was his 10th birthday, and we took him down to D.C. I was with my dad down in D.C. He loves history, so we were doing this whole history tour. And my wife had told me, well, yeah, I'm going to take Emma back to the doctor. She still, she still has this fever. And about 3 in the afternoon, she texts me, and she says, um, she had told me they were going to the hospital for a couple of tests, which I just was like, eh, okay. But then she texts me about 3 in the afternoon and says, they're telling us we have to go to Burlington. They found a mass in her lungs the size of a grapefruit. I can't tell you, I'm sure some of you even know, what it was like reading that. So immediately I call her, and the reason she texts is because she couldn't talk. She couldn't, even, she couldn't even get the words out over the phone because immediately this fear gripped us. What is happening? And so I, I found a flight from D.C. to Burlington. I actually beat them to Burlington, and they show up in the ambulance, and we met with the doctors there that night, and we slept overnight. About 6 in the morning, the doctors of Burlington woke us up, and they said, this is so serious, we don't want to touch it. We need to send you to Boston Children's Hospital. Now, for those of us that live here in the North Country, we get what it feels like when someone says you have to go to Burlington. We all, we all have this connotation of it, right? Now get to Burlington and then them say, you need to go somewhere else. I was, I was distraught. What is, what is going on here? You can't handle this? I literally have never even heard of that. Burlington would send other people away from there. And so they put Emma in a, a meta flight and they flew her to Boston and I drove about the same speed. And we get to Boston, and they get us checked in, and it was just, it was a crazy rigmarole. I remember that first night, we're sitting in a quarantined unit because they were really confused by what was going on in her. At first, they weren't sure if she either had a, a neuroblastoma, a cancer inside her, or if she had some very rare infectious disease. They were afraid of both, so they put us in a, a tuberculosis quarantine unit. And that was before COVID. So everybody's dressed up in all the PPE that we're now used to. I remember actually after two weeks, they finally took all that off because they had finally said, okay, it's not an infectious disease, and I didn't know anybody. Because I'm like, they're like, oh, you've been in here? I guess I've only heard voices this whole time. And I remember them sitting, these five or six doctors sitting there telling us what the possibilities were. That she either had a neuroblastoma or some infectious disease that they literally couldn't identify and had no idea what to do with. And in my head, you want to know what I said? It was something similar to, well, let's just go die. In my head, I, this is what I said. Well, that's about par for the course. I had this belief that somehow when life went bad, it's, what, it's just how it went for me. And I look at these little stories of the disciples, and, and we always just kind of gloss over this stuff, but let's put ourselves in these shoes. Don't we tend to grab hold of things in the same way? Here I am, a pastor. I've seen Jesus do incredible things, and my immediate response is generally, well, she's probably going to die. I mean, I, I know it's horrible. I actually thought that. I thought, why not? Why not one more thing that I can't possibly wrap my mind around? 
And this is because I have struggled for years, and I've shared that story a lot about my, my daughter and my son's diagnosis and dealing with their, their life and their you know, difficulties. And so I had begun to believe this thing that, yes, though I wanted to follow Jesus, but I, I had this broken sense of, is he really good and is he really going to turn up when I need him to? Maybe you're not there, but I've been there. And I think his disciples in this moment are there. I think Mary and Martha are there in the middle of this story going, what happened to Jesus? Why didn't he come? You just said he wasn't going to die and now he's dead. Help, I don't understand. This is where they're at. Start again at verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. So let's just do the math. He stayed two days longer. Now listen, this is not a texting society. This is, you know, messengers. So by the time Jesus got the message, he was dead. Because he'd been in the grave for four days. But he'd only stayed two extra days. He had died even before Jesus got the message and Jesus declared something. God, human, somehow combined, Jesus, the Son of God, declares he won't die when he was already dead. But even, let's keep going. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I need a Martha. <laughs> and Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So she at least goes to the part she believes, right? He will rise when everyone else rises on that last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Any, this is the famous quote, right? Uh, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. I find this very interesting. You've got this statement that's made twice to Jesus now, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and then this moment where we see Jesus get angry. Now listen, if you're a person in this room that has emotions... Just know that Jesus has emotions. Maybe you're a person that gets angry. Jesus gets angry. What you do with that anger matters. 
But Jesus gets angry in this moment, and I don't think he's angry at them. Sometimes we might say, well, geez, it's their lack of faith. Jesus is angry at No, I think he's mad that this thing took place at all. You know, recently, my, my Aunt Kathy passed away. We were praying with her the last couple days, and the cancer had just, just made her almost unrecognizable. And I just prayed this. I said, Jesus... Complete healing or take her home. And my wife knows this, and most of my friends know this. My go-to emotions, anger. About everything. Sad, I'm going to feel angry. Fear, I'm going to be angry. I generally, that's my go-to, and for some reason, you know, Jesus has helped me, thankfully. But I understand this because I really think that Jesus in this moment, he's angry at the the wrongness of this death. The fact that from the beginning of time, God set up a world that was not supposed to end in human death. But yet sin comes in, sickness comes in, brokenness comes in, and ends people's lives in a way it was not meant to be. And I remember I was looking at my Aunt Kathy and I thought, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to end like this. Now, we've gotten used to death, and it's a part of life at this point. But the future, when Jesus returns, it's not meant to be a part of life. And I think Jesus is kind of angry looking at this situation like, enough of this. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. My friend's not even supposed to be sick. He's not supposed to die. And it says this anger welled up within him. And he asks, where have you put him? In verse 34, they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. He cries over his friend. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? I think we all fit into those categories. (laughs) Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in graves clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I love this story. I see myself all the way through it. I see myself in the doubts. I see myself in the disillusionment. I see myself in the anger. And I even, I even see myself in this moment because there's so many stories of my life where Jesus does this. Where somehow out of the most difficult place, the most difficult circumstances, Jesus somehow brings life out of death. That's what he does best. He literally takes... Broken ashes, what the world would throw out, 
garbage situations and somehow takes them and speaks life into them and they come out alive. I think every one of our stories is like that because we're sitting in this room. Because we're watching online. Because Jesus did something where he literally spoke life into our situation. Spoke life into the most deathly places of us. And somehow we came out alive. Now I love what happens here. It says the dead man came out. But what did he come out looking like? Like a dead man. Wrapped in grave clothes. Covered up, bound up. You see, sometimes I think we have a little bit of disillusionment when we come to Christianity because we come to the cross and we receive Jesus' grace and we're like, oh, we're alive again, but somehow we still feel the bounds of that grave. We still have those things wrapped tightly around us. And this is where I would just be imperative this morning. This is what the body of Christ is for. This is what people are for in our lives. Because what does Jesus say? Let him go, unwrap him. He literally has to ask others to come to that person's rescue. Now he's alive because of the power of Jesus. We know only Jesus can do that. But in that moment, they need people to unwrap him from those death clothes. I've been on a clothing kick for a year if you've been around here. Because I see it all through scripture, this, this story of Jesus clothing us in his righteousness, the clothes that the king has prepared for us at the wedding feast. And even in this, isn't this, I love this, because now we're clothed in what the world would say about us. Lazarus is clothed in this place where he was dead, but Jesus says, unwrap him, I've got some new clothes for him. Let him go, help him be free. If you think you can come to Jesus... And he can speak life into your situation. And you come out a dead man, but then don't do anything else. You just look dead, but you're still breathing. There's no, that's no place to stop. Imagine, I mean, imagine everybody's like, well, that's cool. Let's go home. I mean, that would be just an absurd end of the story. Lazarus is literally there going, mm, 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 mm. Somebody help me. But yet it takes his friends to unwrap, to take the headcloth off, to set him free. Listen, if you come to Jesus and you're still struggling, it's okay. Sometimes the grave clothes take a little bit of time to get off. Sometimes we're dumb and we put them back on. But it's okay because you're alive. You're breathing. Jesus' life is inside you. I don't care if you've stumbled a hundred times, if you've fallen a thousand times. I don't care if you've done the same repetitive, destructive action in your life. If Jesus' life is inside you, you have a chance. Let someone help you if you need help. Unwrap him and let him go. Now, I want to turn now. We're going to continue in the story, John 12. We're going to jump down a little bit to 12, 12 through 13. And this, so this happens, right? This, this amazing, incredible story takes place the day before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So he has literally raised someone from the dead. Every, now, listen, Lazarus was a very well known person. 
Everybody knew who Lazarus was. And everybody probably knew Lazarus was dead. So now the fact that Lazarus is alive, this is big news. And this is the other thing that often gets forgotten. And actually, it's, it's really, I believe this event is what precipitates the crucifixion. Because the Jewish and religious leaders were already angry at Jesus for simply picking grain on a Saturday. But now he raises someone from the dead. They had, the reason that they were saying, hey, don't go back to Judea, they're going to stone you. The reason they wanted to stone him was because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And here he is not just healing a man, but bringing him back to life. But think about this. This is, this is what religion can do to us if we're not careful. Religion can literally take a resurrection story and make us mad at it. And somehow make us literally demonize that resurrection story and actually look poorly on it. But yet Jesus is resurrecting people in their life and they get mad at him. It's why they start to plan to kill him. is because of what he did with Lazarus on Saturday, which was their Sabbath. And so now he's coming into the city the day after this takes place with Lazarus. With Lazarus. If I say that too many times, it's going to come out really weird. John 12, 12 through 13, says the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and realized these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. Listen to this. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. You see, they had already just been planning to arrest him the minute he stepped foot in Jerusalem. But with the crowd being there, they decided, well, this is too risky. There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So I want to stop there for just a second. We're kind of getting near the end of this, and I want to make a main point here. That there's a reason everyone shows up to see Jesus. And I think it's the same reason everyone should want to show up to see Jesus today. And this is what's interesting. It's not just the story of Jesus. It's the story of what he's done. You see, we're coming up to Easter and this is a story most of the world has heard in some way or another. They've heard about Jesus, they've heard about Christianity, they've heard probably about the cross. And Jesus had already become famous, they'd heard about his teachings, they'd heard about his things, and they're all now in Jerusalem for Passover. But the reason they come isn't just because of Jesus, but they're coming because of what he did in Lazarus. I want to propose a thought. 
Messina, Augensburg, Malone, the North Country wants to come to Jesus, but they'll come because they heard your story. Because you'll make it real for them. You see, you can hear about a famous guy. You can hear about famous stories. But when God does something in someone's life that you know, it's really hard to ignore. Like Lazarus. He was dead, but now he's alive. And people who knew Lazarus, they knew, they they couldn't get around it. And it's the reason they all came out on Palm Sunday and laid their palms down before him because they said, man, I saw what he did in Lazarus. Let people see what he's done in you. Let people see the story of whatever resurrection life that he's spoken to you and then they might be interested in coming and hearing the story of resurrection life. That's when people will come and flood is because they know you and they know all of us and they hear our stories and they begin to see that Jesus took us from death to life. That's when the world will go, well, geez, it's real. It's not just a story. It's not just an idea. It's not just a religion or a tradition. It's a real thing happening in people's lives today. I need that. John 12, 24. Verse 25, Jesus speaks these words, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. I, I would actually plead with you. Share the story of your death with somebody. Whatever your death story looks like. Whatever brokenness in your life has looked like, share that story and then share with them the resurrection life that Jesus has breathed into you. Even if you've got a few grave clothes still tattered on, I don't care. Share the life story that Jesus has spoken to you and people will come. It says it will yield a harvest plentiful of new lives. This is Jesus' intention. John 12, 32, you jump down a few more verses. It says this, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. These are Jesus' words. Everyone. He's drawing everyone, everyone you've ever met, everyone you've ever passed in the grocery store, everyone you've ever worked for, everyone you've ever hated. He is drawing their hearts. And I believe these people are just waiting to see a story of resurrection life. Not just one that happened 2,000 years ago, but one that happens today in all of us. You know, this week I came in here and I counted all the chairs. 485 chairs in here, including the balcony. 384 down here, 101 up there. We have plenty of room. Actually, it's just enough to double. So this week, leading up to Easter, make it a point. Tell your story to one person. Tell your story of resurrection life to one person. I, I'm, I'm serious. Make it a point. Somehow in seven days, look for the opportunity. I'm telling you, it will be there. I guarantee it. The choice is will you take it? 
I've ignored it plenty of times, trust me. But we have an opportunity this week. People are more open in this season than they ever are to go to church. And a lot of them, they're just going to come because they think they're doing the right thing or the nice thing. I don't care why they come. They all followed Martha thinking she was going somewhere else. But where did they end up? In front of Jesus. I don't care why people come. But if they meet Jesus in the process, this is what our job is. I, in fact, I think this is what our, our kind of commandment as Christians really is to do. It's to show the world what he looks like and what he's done within us. They don't just need another story about that, that story, the literal cross. They'll hear that on Sunday if you get them here. But what they want to hear is why is this real for you? Answer that question to yourself. Why is this real for me? Why do I do this thing called church and Christianity? Why do I want to follow Jesus? Be reminded of what he's breathed into you. And I'm telling you, someone will come to life because of it. Why don't we stand this morning? And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. I ask these two questions at the bottom of your notes. What is the Lazarus story in your life? And who is God drawing to himself in your life? I'm just going to pray. And Julie's going to wrap up. God, I ask right now that every one of us would be awakened and remember the story of life that you've spoken to us. God, every one of us was Lazarus in that tomb in some way in our life, dead to you, dead to purpose, dead to true life. God, just kind of breathing and making it through this life. But God, you literally spoke life into our situations. You spoke life into our circumstances. You spoke life into our heart. And so God, we don't want to keep that to ourselves. God, we want our story, just like Lazarus' story, to draw people. To draw people to see who you really are. Even if they're not sure if you're the king or not sure if you're the savior. Even if they're not really sure what they think about you, God. I ask that our stories would draw people this week. That this coming Sunday, people would not just hear the story of what you did on that cross. But God, they would experience the story of what you're going to do in them. That people would come in this building that come in churches all across the North Country this coming week, and God, they would experience a story of death to life in themselves. So God, we just give our voices to you this week. God, we give our time to you this week, and I ask Jesus, open up an opportunity for every one of us to share our Lazarus story with people. In Jesus' name. There we are. You know, it's not by accident, but this morning I was woken up and laying there in bed, wrestling and reminded of my story. Reminded of my God pursuing moment where he didn't let go. And I just laid there before getting ready for the day Reminding that he, he wants me. And you know, a lot, of, a lot of 
people that I've known that have come to know God later in life, the question that they ask is, why did it take so long for somebody to tell me? If we really love those around us, I'm challenging myself here too. We need to share our story. And you know, Greg can get up here and he can share his story and it's beautiful and it's helpful. But there's people out here in your world that need to hear your story because it's gonna minister in a way that nobody else's story can. So I just agree with Greg, agree with the Holy Spirit that is doing something that we need to share our story this week. So today, can I ask you as well to go and get some time with God and be reminded of what your story is. Some of us forget, even as it was talked about at the beginning that our, our, uh, our faith can become repetitive. We forget what our story is and we need to be reminded so we can share it, amen? For those of you today that might have felt like, I want to commit my life even more, that, that I need that resurrection life, we would love to meet with you. Please don't leave this building today without connecting to somebody. There's those uh, gathered in the welcome room after and we wanna meet with you. And online, please private message us. We wanna hear from you. Let the resurrection power of Jesus go with us today, amen. You are all dismissed. And please come back on Saturday with all of your friends and neighbors and relatives and let's have a party. Amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.